This is the Top Agents Playbook Podcast, episode 139. Welcome to the Top Agents Playbook Podcast, the very best tips, tools, and ideas from real estate's top performers. Now, here's your host, Ray Wood. Well, hi, everybody, and welcome back to the show. In the last six months, I've been doing some very interesting work with real estate mindset coach, Jet Xavier. And let me tell you why. First, and perhaps this is obvious, I believe your mind is the control tower of your business and your life. When you think about it, your mind controls and influences every aspect of your happiness and success. From the basic fundamentals of believing you can or can't do something, to mastering the discipline to say lose weight, get fitter, prospect better to grow your business or improve a relationship, your mindset will determine your success in every endeavor. Luck is not a factor. Second, I wanted to learn as much as I can from Jet so I can share it with you, my listeners. This podcast is not just about exposing you to the ideas and strategies of top agents. It's also about inspiring and motivating you to new heights and enhanced levels of personal fulfillment and quality of life. I want the things for you that you want, and I see my role through concepts like this program to help you get there. So increasingly, I know and understand that a top agent's mindset will not just help you get there, but lead the way up the mountain. And just to be clear, I'm not saying that I think it might help. It's that I 100% know it works. And in coming weeks, I'll be sharing more of Jet's insights and ideas to help you achieve an enhanced state of thinking and decision making on a whole new level. We all know that a real estate career can be challenging, so from where I'm sitting, I believe we need all the tools we can get. You can have the best boss be part of a great team, a dominant brand, and a great market, but without a top agent's mindset, you'll never capitalize on every opportunity or struggle to rally and triumph when the chips are down. Let's face it, sooner or later, we'll all face obstacles and setbacks, but life is not so much about what happens to us, it's how we handle what happens to us that makes the difference, which is the perfect segue to intro this episode. As a teenager, my guest found himself bricklaying in East London with his father, grandfather, uncles and cousins. His job was to carry 80 pounds of bricks in a three-sided box up a ladder to build the next course of bricks on a building. He hated his job and for a time believed there was no way out, but one day he somehow found the courage to quit. What happened next is part of his journey and it eventually led him to his current job to be the man who created Bluefish, the internationally famous company that makes once-in-a-lifetime events happen. My guest is Steve Sims, and his day job is to make the impossible possible. With his help and expertise, his clients' fantasies and wildest dreams come true. Getting married in the Vatican, being serenaded by Andrea Bocelli, and connecting with powerful business moguls like Elon Musk or rock stars like Elton John are just a few of the many projects he's worked on. Steve's mindset has taken him from the poverty and struggle of gloomy East London to the glamorous lifestyle and sunshine of California. 
I reached out to Steve after reading his book, Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. And as so often happens with guests on my show, we've been friends ever since. I think you're going to love this interview with Steve. You'll find the video version of our interview in the show notes for this episode, together with a link to get your very own copy of Steve's book. Okay, let's do it. The Top Agents Playbook Podcast is proudly brought to you by Jiggler. Jiggler is the creative, do-it-yourself, online marketing platform top agents are flocking to. Build everything in minutes right on your desktop. From marketing flyers, reports, lead generators, and social media posts, Jiggler has hundreds of templates waiting for you to customize, download, and print or post. Get started today and try Jiggler free at Jiggler.com. That's J-I-G-G-L-A-R.com. Well, welcome back to the show, everybody. You've heard me talk about the book. Now I'd like you to meet the best-selling author, Steve Sims. Welcome to the Top Agents Playbook. How are you going, mate? I'm proud to be here. Thanks, buddy. Uh, you're, you're very welcome, and thank you so much for your time. Um, Let's start at the start, if, if you don't mind, um, and I heard a rumour that you've got a bit of an aversion to bricklaying. Is that true? <laughs> third, gen- third generation bricklayer from uh, the roots of Ireland, first, first British member of my Irish family. So to say that I didn't want to continue the family tradition was probably an understatement. Yeah. What did your dad say? I think you talk about it in the book, but what did your dad say? Yeah, he wasn't. Well, funny enough, it was my granddad's fault. I went up, uh, I went up a ladder one day, and I looked down the uh, the scaffolding. And there's my dad, my uncle, my cousins, and right at the far end of like about twelve of us was my granddad. And I thought to myself, "There's my family line. There's my yeah. my life path." Yeah. And yeah. I was, it hit me, and it hit me hard. And I'm having a cup of tea in the, in the morning break, and I'm next to my granddad, and I turned around him, and I went did you ever think you'd be doing brig lane at your age? And he turned around and he said, if you don't quit today, you'll be me tomorrow. Yeah, wow. And so I put my tea down, went up to my dad and said, I'm going home. I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. He was kind of okay about it. My mum was the one that hit the roof. So uh, didn't kind of go well. So imagine a young teenage boy living at home with no job, turned his back on uh, a working class family's income. Yeah, it was, it was a bit uh, tense for a while. But only, I don't even know what the numbers are, Steve, but only one in 10,000 people would actually do that, or one in a million. Do you know what I mean? Like, who's going who's gonna to go, go against all of that? Not on a whim. There must have been more than that. But, but yeah, talk about this in the book a bit, which I love. But, but, but tell me about that process because... Because that's, that's a massive conviction because you're in your own little world, you're growing up and, and this is your, it must have scared the heck out of you, I guess. Yeah, it did. But I was, um, a lot of people now are calling themselves entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it was Gary Vee that turned around and said, they're entrepreneurs. Um, everyone looks at an entrepreneur as a cool thing now. Back then it meant that you couldn't get a real job. Yeah. And yeah. all I knew all I knew was that I knew where I didn't fit. And as a young lad growing up in London, you try to find the mates that you can rely on, the, uh, the, the things that you like, the music you like, you're searching. 
Marry that to an, uh, an entrepreneur, and most people say entrepreneurs have ADD. Um, we don't. We're just entrepreneurs. We don't settle. We're looking to find that fit. So for me, it was as easy without being conscionable that I needed to breathe, and I needed to be somewhere that fit, and I knew where I wasn't didn't fit. While it was a very confusing time for me, and as a young, big lad, you know, cocky in London, it could have gone so many different ways. Some of them could have ended up having me in bars for many years, you know, yeah. but as a young lad, you don't know where you're going. And I was very fortunate to be able to try many things, know that I didn't like this, and the only reason I'm going to find something I do like is not to be here. I learned very early on that standing still is death. Yeah. Things that stand still are dead or becoming dead. Um, and so I was very fortunate to be that ignorant and that uh, um, delusional that I don't like this, I'm out. And, of course, living at home, not having to pay rent or anything like that at the time, my downside wasn't that I was going to lose my house. Um, so I remember growing up thinking I was very poor and my mum and I didn't get on for a long time. It wasn't until later on when I started becoming successful and I'm in my 20s and I'm starting to find my path that I realized how wealthy I actually was and how forgiving they were that they were willing to allow me to bounce around and bounce off walls. So there was some very, and I feel very stupid about it and very embarrassed about it, but there was a number of years as a young teenage boy that I thought I was very poor and I deserved better than this. When I started making more money, I then realized how lucky I actually had it and how wealthy I was and had it not been for them, I would not be sitting here in Los Angeles with a pile of motorcycles chatting to you. Uh, it's a it's it's a great story, mate. And um, uh, the book is the book is Bluefish. Congratulations! It's a it's a ripping read. You you weave uh, your lessons with the yarns. Um, if you haven't got this, guys, go out and grab it. The book is Bluefish, as in one fish, two fish, red fish, bluefish. Uh, it's uh, it's actually it's actually Bluefish in. The blue fishing, yeah, but uh, I, I always think of the, of the doctors. But, but <laughs> it's exactly that. Yeah. Um, one of the stories in here that I, I like the most is, is the start because I'm always interested in, I mean, your journey and your path is so, is so different. Um, but you, you talk in the book about, about setting up this private gig in London, this, this, this club and this, uh, this kind of members only. Can you, can you take us through that? I mean, I could tell, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to gonna sound much yeah. coming from you because that was kind of the – am I right saying that's kind of the genesis? That was, that was your first real gig? Like that's, yeah. That's where this whole monster started, eh? Yeah, it actually started in Hong Kong. Uh, it wasn't London, it was Hong Kong. Okay. But it was one of these things that, again, I was bouncing off the walls trying to find a job. Um, I don't think that journey is much different. You know, luckily I did it in different countries and stuff like that. So it makes it all sound very nice. But it was the same, it was the same pain. It was the same being broke. It was the same issues. I applied for a job when I was in London uh, to go to a place in Hong Kong because they were doing a mass exodus of expatriates. Got the job and I was fired after 24 hours of being there. Um, so I ended up working on a nightclub door because I'm big and ugly and quite openly would scare people away sometimes. Um, and uh, so I did what God obviously built me to do. And then I realized that I knew I wanted to be wealthy. I knew I wanted the trappings of success. I wanted all of these suits, the Ferraris, the watches, the private jets. As a young lad, I wanted all of that. 
And I knew by hanging around with my poor mates where we would max out on three beers a night, I wasn't going to get it. So I started trying to get into the circle of affluent people, people that I wanted to be. Now, I'm a great believer, and it was the genesis, that to be in a relationship, you've got to bring something to the relationship. You've got to be a value. You may be the best storyteller. You may be the best comedian. You may know how to fix your mate's lawnmower. You may know tips and tricks on you know, how to travel. But you've got to have something that's a value in a relationship. And you need to look at your mates and go, why do I like Bernie? And he's a good lad and he's always got my back. Great, there's value. Why do I like Jimmy? Oh, I don't know, but he's always there. That's not a relationship. That's a hanger on. Yeah. So yeah. I knew that if I wanted to get into a crowd of affluent people, I had to bring value to the game. My value was being a doorman. I knew where the parties and the clubs were. So I remember actually talking to a bunch of my regulars going, oh, you don't want to go here tonight. And they thought I was kicking them out. And they'd be like, oh, why not? Why not? Because you're good, lads. And just down the road, you go and speak to Jimmy, tell him Sim sent you. That's where the party is tonight. And all of a sudden, they were going, oh, cheers, mate. You know, and I'm like, let me know how it gets on. And I just started relating to people on a regular, normal level, but by bringing value to the relationship. And I went from uh, telling them where the best parties were to throwing the best parties to throwing events at Monaco, Los Angeles, Stard, you know, all over the place. And then people would come to me and go, oh, I've always wanted to do this, or I've wanted to jump out of a plane, or I've wanted to drive a Formula One car, I've always wanted to meet Elton John. And then it would be tasking me, do you know anyone that could do it? And I'd be like, let me make a few phone calls. And then I would try and hustle to find how it could be done. And 25 years later now, I don't have a lot of friction in getting anything done. In the early stages, it was a lot harder, but uh, you only ever see the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, st- it literally started from now. I started as a doorman on a right dodgy nightclub. And um, now I, I throw parties with, with Elton John and Leonardo DiCaprio and all these kind of people. So yeah. it's pretty cool. It is, it is, it is very cool, Steve, and uh, it's, it's such a great story. Ed. I, I'm interested in those, in, in those early days. What, what, was some of the, what were some of the major challenges um, uh, you know, like uh, confidence rules all, I guess, like fake it till you make it and, and all of that sort of thing. But <laughs> what, I'm thinking I'm talking to the master, but, but um, what was some of the big challenges? Because is the old story, you've got, you, you got to take a lot of no's to get a yes, right? Yeah, so my, my greatest challenge was my greatest benefit. And I didn't realize it until I was about five years, five years in. But I was a bricklayer from London that ended up being a doorman. I lived life in London as a whiskey drinking biker. I'm in Los Angeles now and I'm still a whiskey drinking biker. Right. Intelligence has never really played much of a benefit in my planet. And as a young lad, I was ignorant and pushy. Okay? So... I'm, I agree with you, fake it till you make it. Yeah, that's, that's a great line. But I literally would walk up to someone not even recognizing that, A, they would say no to me, contemplating or understanding why no should even be in the vocabulary to me. I, I literally was that ignorant to the failure that I would walk up. I remember one of them, I walked up to this lady at a yacht party in Hong Kong. 
And I walked up to her and I needed to get four clients into her yacht party. Now, if I went up there and go, hey, I've got four really cool clients, I'd like to get them into the yacht party. There's one easy knee-jerk reaction that everyone says, no. No. Okay? So the first thing I learned when I was a young lad is never ask a question that the answer can be yes or no. Too much of a risk. Okay? So I always believe if 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 I don't like the answer I'm getting, I'm asking the wrong person or the wrong question. So I had all of these kind of things in my head. So I would walk up to this girl and I'd be like, hey, how you doing? Now, I've got four people coming down to the party tonight. Assumption. Straight off, assumption that they're going in. I've got four people coming over to the party tonight. I know you're going to get busy at 9 o'clock when you open up the, the door. So I'm wondering, would you like them to get here at like 8.30? Or would you like to get them at like, you know, 10 o'clock when it started to die down? What would be better for you? <laughs> now I'm asking something that benefits them. Now, I remember her stood in front of me. Now, bear in mind, I'm 240 pounds of ugly. No hair, tattoos, eyebrow piercings, all that kind of stuff. I looked like that when I was 19. I've never changed. I had a little bit of hair on my head, but that got shaved off. But the girl straight away flicks up her flip sheet and starts looking through her flip sheet. People have a natural reaction to anything, regardless of what triggered it. Now, notice, I had not, tell, I had not told her who the clients were. Right. But her protection, and it's like when you talk to someone now, they go, hey, could you do this? What's the first thing they do? They get out that phone and they check that calendar. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. Why? Because it brings your hands into you and it acts as a shield. If you look at a boxer, they have their hands up. If you look at someone you're talking to and you're having an unnerving conversation, they have their arms folded or they've got the phone in front of you. It's protection. This girl did it with a flip chart. She's protecting herself. She's gathering her, her senses for a few seconds and then realizing, I haven't given you the names, girl. You know? So she's now looking a bit silly. I can sense she's looking silly. So I needed to give her an out or blow it out. I went, look, you are going to be so busy tonight, and I know it. And while I appreciate it, working for my clients, they're going to enjoy the night. I have to be honest with you, not everyone says thank you. So let me do get that out of the way now. And I lump her with 500 bucks. Okay, I said, just, and she's like, thank you. So I'm showing so much consideration to her. She literally just shut the sheet down. She went, I'll do this later. Let me take the names. And she wrote the four names on the front. Okay. And I said, that's, that's brilliant. You got a heavy night on your girl. Good luck to you. Stay strong. Drink loads of water. I know what it's like. So there's empathy. There's relatability. And I said, um, what's your name? And so, you know, we, we started communicating. Who do you think she contacted every time she was part of a party in the future? Yeah, Steve. Yeah, now I went back to my guys and I went, you know that party you couldn't get into? And they were like, yeah, and I, went, I pulled it off. There's four you go and it's 500 bucks per person. Yeah. So I made two grand, the girl made 500 bucks. Every month she contacted me was somewhere to go. That's where it started. And now it's the exact same thing. Don't color it. Don't confuse it. Don't over... Uh, uh, overemphasize the, 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 the big elephant, it's still the basics. I still get people say, hey, Sims, we've got an event going on in LA. We've got an event going on in London, Stad, Hong Kong. And I go, hey, thanks very much, you know, but not now. Or, yeah, that's great. And every now and then I'll just send them something. Hey, I, I saw this bottle of wine. I remember we'd, uh, we'd drunk that wine in 1989. So here you go, there's a bottle on its way to you. You just say thank you and keep those people warm. Keep nurturing it. And 
I was on a TV interview, and I hope I haven't gone too far, but Maggie I was on a... Please. Cheers, but I was on a British TV show a while back, and uh, I think I was working with Elton John or something like that, and the guy turned around, and he went, oh, we're thrilled to have Steve Sims. He is the world's greatest communicator. And I just sat there, and it's on video, and I sit there, and I go, oh, God, no. And the, the, the guy just looks at me, and I went... Let's start off on the right foot. I'm the world's greatest communicator only because the rest of the world has got so bad of it. You know, even a shitty hamburger will win the world's best hamburger if it's compared to shittier hamburgers. That's me. Um, I believe with every platform that we've been provided, whether it be Twitter, Facebook, advertising, LinkedIn, Snapchat, all of these platforms that we've got now in order to communicate have taught us how to communicate badly. And we need to get back to the building of relationships. And I don't care what you say about Bitcoin, the best return on investment is a healthy relationship. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, and so on that note, talking about communication, you are a huge fan of the written letter. I love, I love your stories about, about writing a letter on the back of a bar tab and stuff like that, just, <laughs> just, just thinking about you. But um, it's true, isn't it? Because, I mean, the, the average open rate for email is probably under 20% now and getting worse all the time. But who's not oh, going to open a letter that's, uh, that's addressed, you know, that's personally addressed? Well, here's the dumb thing. Yeah. And again, I'm trying to tell everyone, and I, I do this coaching and speaking to many real estate, mortgage, finance professionals, we're constantly taught to get ahead, you've got to buy the next piece of software, you've got to buy the next CRM, you've got to have a good Facebook pro profile, your LinkedIn has to be very business-like. We're taught all of those things. If you wake up, or when you wake up in the morning, you pick up, you, get, you grab your coffee, you turn your phone on, you look at your emails. And you're sitting there with 100, 200, 400 emails, okay? Uh -huh. Tonight, when you walk down to your letterbox, how many bloody letters you got in there? Well, the, okay. they'll mainly be bills. Well, no, they actually won't because most people go paperless now. Okay. Okay, so you'll find out about the new local Chinese restaurant, a new local gardening service, and there's a letter from London, Hong Kong, Beijing, Vietnam, handwritten to you, and you go, oh, and as I always do, and I do this little test whenever you know, I'm doing my speaking bits, I tell people to put their hands up in the air. How many of those fingers did it take to delete an email? Answer, one. How many fingers does it take to open up an envelope? Yeah, all 10. Bingo. So now, let's break it down. The anticipation of what, in, what is inside a handwritten envelope. There's the key. Make it handwritten for a start. And you've got touch of the envelope. You rip it open the envelope, so you've now got sound. Yeah. If you put a little bit of spray in there, I was in Japan, and uh, cherry blossom season was coming up. I literally got some cheap-ass cherry blossom perfume, sprayed a bit of perfume into each envelope. Got to be honest with you, it smelled like a tart handbag once it'd been through <laughs> the mail. But they've now got this whiff of shitty, cheap perfume, and inside it, it was my bar tab for when I was in Japan. And on the back of it, it was like, hey, Roy, you'll notice I had four or five whiskeys, but two of them I was thinking about you. Let me know when we can chat, Steve. Yeah, love it. Now, I get the envelopes from hotels. 
I throw in bar tabs. I basically keep it as raw and as ugly as possible because the most impactful thing in the world is me reaching through this screen now and punching you in the forehead. Mm-hmm. Now, you're not going to like, and I will not, my sir. Okay. Um, but let's be blunt, it can't be more impactful than that, can it? No. You know? If I had a Gucci shirt on and an Audemars Piguet watch on, the punch in the head is still a punch in the head. Mm-hmm. So what I try to do is I try to keep things very raw and impactful and relatable. Now, everyone's been to a bar. Everyone knows what a credit card receipt looks like. But when was the last time you ever got one mailed to you from a foreign country? Now, I know what a lot of people are out there going, yeah, but you travel the world. I'm in L.A., down the road from me is every hotel from the Chateau Marmont to the Waldorf Astoria, okay? Now, to me, they're local. But to the guy and client in Pittsburgh, Chicago, Las Vegas, they're not. They're now, I go, yeah, I go into those hotels and I say to them, hey, I'm just going to do a little bit of mail. I'm going to grab a little bit of a drink here and chat to a few clients. Can I grab a few envelopes while I'm just doing some work? They will give you, every time I go in, I'll get 10 envelopes. And I will make a little note and I will send it off. And clients will get an envelope from the Waldorf Astoria in LA. And you're right. If you send out 100,000 emails, you'll probably have a click-through rate of easily less than 500. Mm-hmm. Easily. Yeah. If you send out 20, and that's a turkey shoot. Yeah. If you send out 10 letters, they get opened up by, at worst, nine. Yeah. Yeah. Now, given that, those basics, I don't understand why you're not doing more posts. And I had someone, some cocky little turd, turned around to me and he went, but email's free. No, it's not. If you've got a list of 100,000 emails, Constant Contact will charge you about 350 bucks a month, okay? And for every 300 people that actually open up your email, now, let's, let's get some basics. When your email is opened up on your email box, whether it be an autoresponder or you just glimpse on it and then delete it, that's classed as an open. What you want is the click-through rate where the person goes, that's of interest, and clicks through. The click-through rate will end up being about 300, which means out of 100,000, 99,000 plus are not reading your message. Yep. And they're like, what's, what's he doing? I haven't heard from him for ages. It may have landed in junk. Uh, it may have got deleted while the guy's pouring a cup of coffee. It's too much to risk. But if I send you a letter, you can bet your garden on the fact that you're going to get it and go, what the bloody hell is this? Yeah. Yeah. And, go, and the other good thing is you can drink a cup of coffee, you can play with your hair, you can do a flick through a magazine while you're deleting emails. You can't do any of that while you're opening the envelope. I have engagement. And the key word now, for, I don't care if you're dealing with the Pope or your next door neighbor, the key is engagement in communication. 100%, 100%. And the, the, the added cost to sending emails, Steve, I always think is, you know, that person's always within their rights to unsubscribe and then the relationship's terminated anyway. So Yeah, yeah. But, and it's even those people that turn around and... You know, if you work, you say about real estate, if you've got a real estate email address, then algorithms are being changed monthly. Sooner or later, there may be, may be an algorithm that catches your email and doesn't disperse it to the people that have subscribed. But you know, I've got clients... I already have. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Already so 
you're eager to hear from me and I'm sending you emails and you're not getting them and you're thinking, oh, well, why did I bother subscribing to Steve Sims? You know, he's, mm. not, he's not worth it. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to do my bit, but it ain't getting through. Yeah, yeah. Um, on that, I, I know that your like your Rolodex must read like a who's who of of of, uh, of of the world pretty much entertainers and 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 movie stars and people like that. Um, plus, you've got your clients. How do you, how do you keep in touch with everybody? It's uh, how do you, how do you engage them on a regular basis? I mean, you, you're not going to be in their pocket every week or every day, but how are you keeping nice. in touch with? Because this is a this is a pertinent real estate question because. A lot of my listeners, all of my listeners, most of my listeners are real estate agents, but, but the, the fear I have is that everybody's doing the same thing. So you've just, you've just given us a brilliant idea with, with the letter. How else are you, are you engaging, keeping in touch? With, with okay, so to my real estate friends, because as I said, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I do a lot of speaking gigs at real estate and mortgage. Um, I am a great believer in the 300-year-old oak tree, okay? Okay. Now... If I ask you to plant a 300-year-old oak tree, it starts with a seed, okay? That seed can die a million and one ways. You can stamp on it, the birds can eat it, you could suffocate it, you can forget to water it. There's loads of ways that that can die. So what you do every day is you nurture it, you, you water it, you prune it, maybe put a little bit of protective layer around it when it's in its twig stage coming up. You nurture the hell out of that tree until it gets to a position of strength. And when it gets to a 300-year-old oak tree, you can drive a bus into it and the bus is coming off worse. Yep. You, get, you get the analogy? Uh-huh. So relationships are a 300-year-old oak tree. In the early stages, you've got to nurture those. You've got to feed those. You've got to be tight with those. You've got to protect those. The longer the relationship goes on, you can reach out to them every six months just to prune them and go, hey, Ray, we haven't spoken for ages. Like I said to you about the bottle of wine, you know? Yeah. I saw this bottle of wine. I heard this too. I was at an event last year um, in uh, New York, and Aretha Franklin actually played at that event. And then we heard today the tragic news that she had passed away. Yeah. Now, that triggered my memory to that event. I actually went back to everyone that had been at that event. There were 40 of us that went to the event, and I went through each one of them and just said, we got to see one of our last great performances, but she'll always be with us in the music. All the best, Steve. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. This is how I do it. I did a video text, okay? And I, I got my phone. And this is another thing you've got to realize. 70% of people are booking, purchasing, and viewing on mobile devices now. Yes. The desktops are dying away. If you write an email, check it on what it looks like on a, on a mobile first. If it's yeah. too long and they have to scroll up, shorten it up, for God's sake. Yep. So check everything on mobile because no one gives a damn what it looks like on desktop anymore. So what I did was I got my phone and I just went, hey, last week, uh, hey, how you doing? It's Steve. Uh, last year was one of the last times we saw this great woman before. And I did a little video text. I didn't have to go, hey, Ron, hey, Jeremy, hey, Bill. I didn't have to do any of that. You just go, hey, Steve, um, we're so proud. The last year was so anyway, wishing you all the best. Just wanted to reach out to you. Yeah. Text that yeah. to 40 people individual. Okay. Yeah. Now that takes me, or that took me, I love doing video text for a couple of reasons. One, I can't spell things wrong on a video. Okay. Right. My grammar's always perfect on a video. And I can talk way faster than I can bloody type. Okay. 
Another cool reason for doing videos is because you get to hear the definition in my tone. You get to hear the variety. You get to hear the excitement, the passion, the drama. You get to hear all of that tonality that you cannot get in a bloody tweet. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And I'll do my videos. I'm doing this one with you now, and I've got the motorbikes in the back. Yep. You know? I'll do another one, and I'll be on a beach. I'm going to Santa Barbara this weekend. I'll probably do one on the pier. So you've got these backgrounds in the back just making it visually engaging. Okay? And you've also got a message, and it's short. The message I just told you was I may be 30, 25 seconds long saying about Aretha Franklin. So I've done the video, 25 seconds. I've then gone in, I've poured my coffee. I've got the list up, the Excel spreadsheet of everyone. Again, I don't have big CRMs. I use Excel and I use Outlook, okay? Because okay. um, most CRMs don't work on your iPhones either, okay? Yeah. But Microsoft Outlook does. Um, so does Google and all of these places. Okay. Um, and then what I'll do is I'll get, the cheat, I'll get the sheet up of everyone that went to it and I'll just type them in my phone, attach, type, attach, type, attach, type, attach. I did that 40 times. It may have taken me 50 seconds, maybe, maybe a minute to actually attach because you type in the first three letters and, and the name pops up. Of course. Attach, yeah. attach. So yeah. I did them all within a minute. And I sent them all out, yeah. okay? Go back to my coffee. Yeah. I had, I think, 30, I think it was like 31 or 32 responses um, within five minutes, yeah. okay? Uh, out of those responses, um, we started chatting. I did this really stupid thing, and it's ridiculous. And this, this may be a bit shocking for you guys to grasp. I phoned them back. <laughs> Jesus, arrest the man. Yeah, exactly. But I'm already in a conversation with him because we've actually parlayed backwards and forwards. And then I phone him up and I go, yeah, that was something, wasn't it? You know, we were talking about it last year, about how old she was getting, chatting away. And what are you up to now? Well, I've got an event coming up in November. Hey, that sounds really cool. I'd like to give it. We sold 10 tickets, a five grand a ticket this morning from doing that text regarding Aretha Franklin. Yeah. Because we made the message that we gave engaging and we made the topic relevant, and the way that I presented it, I made it relatable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. None of those things anyone, including Mark Zuckerberg, can do through Facebook Messenger or a tweet. And here's, what, one last thing, and I'm really trying to give you as much as I can to, to help you boys and girls out there, but the other thing is, let's go back to the coffee chat. You wake up in the morning, you grab your phone, everyone does it, you flip the coffee pot or flip the kettle on, you pick up your phone, and at the bottom, it says 200 emails. In the top left-hand corner, it says 10 texts. What do you answer first? I'll go with the texts. Just imagine if one of those texts has got my face on it going, <laughs> you know? Because I don't know why, but I think there's some... I think there's some prick in Apple that just has fun in picking the worst possible screenshot from a video text to make as the uh, thumbnail. But, because uh, I'll be like... <laughs> <laughs> Always looking for the worst shot. Guys, if you get, I'm, I'm with the great uh, best-selling author uh, and author of uh, Blue, Blue Fishing, Steve Sims. And Steve, thank you. Uh, thank you so much.
It's no coincidence real estate's top agents use real estate's best software. Locked On is so popular with top producers because it's laden with features, but so easy to use at the same time. Backed by the number one support team in the industry, agents say Locked On is fast, reliable, and like having two assistants. If your real estate software and systems are holding you back, why not experience the ultimate cloud-based solution and take your productivity to the next level? To get your free 30-day trial and for special discount for life deal, go to LockedOn.com forward slash Ray.